The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. If you can adjust for unexpected expenses in retirement, does that make them expected? And what's that about Schrodinger's cat again? Hi, everyone. I'm Alex. And I'm Wade. And today, we're going to be beginning our next story arc, and it centers around budgeting for retirement. And so this is an interesting episode as we'll begin to talk about the building blocks for building a budget. What do you think, Wade? Right. Yeah, this is going to be an exciting couple of episodes getting into the whole issue of retirement budgeting. But it really speaks to, I think, the fundamental question people have when they, whether they're on track to retire, which is, are they financially prepared to retire? And it's a question you really can't answer if you don't have a how much you might be looking to spend in retirement. So that's what the conversation is going to be all about is trying to figure out how much do I need to spend to achieve a comfortable lifestyle in retirement. Yeah. How do we quantify these retirement goals? Everyone talks about goals-based planning, goals-based investing is this sort of catchword now. And, and it's nonetheless, it's true. But really, what you're getting at is how do you quantify these goals? And, and that's interesting. And, and before we get into this, Wade, and I know I, you know, when we discuss the what's the topic for today and the outline, I think something with, that would be interesting for folks is you and I treat this a little different from a budgeting standpoint. I mean, I I don't necessarily budget, if you will. I kind of make a point to save everything I can first, and I think we'll we'll touch base on this at the end of the episode on a safe savings rate, but I really just try to save as much as I can as, as a percent of income. And then whatever is left over, I, I use, and, and that's effectively my budget. But you treat it differently, don't you? Uh, I do. And actually, I think the podcast episodes are going to mostly focus more on the way I think about it, which is <laughs> to keep track of <laughs> your expenses uh, so that you can then project forward from what you have spent to get a sense of what you might want to spend with the adjustments that would come along with. And of course, a lot of this is unknown. If you retire, you may not be spending the same way as when you were pre-retirement, but at least starting with a sense of how much do I actually spend, kind of building that up, looking at different spending categories and so forth. But, But certainly both options are valid and it's really just a matter of what someone's most comfortable with. You can either kind of back out okay, whatever I earned and didn't save, I spent, and that's my budget. Or you can kind of build up piece by piece, how much am I actually spending? You get the same answer, ultimately, on the total expenses. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're you're more precise. You can make the case that, in your case, it's more measured. And there's there's, there's precision, but it's not a false precision. There is actually more precision your way. It's just... You know, we have different temperaments at, at the end. As, as folks have listened to this podcast, I, I think it becomes apparent that Wade and I are, are, are you know, we're, we're not cut from the same cloth, if you will. And uh, 
yeah, there it is. Uh, but Wade, since this deals largely with uh, how you kind of budget, and frankly, for those in the know, we're really using Wade's book, the the Retirement Planning Guidebook Handbook, to to kind of go through this process. And this is one of the chapters of of Wade's book. So I, I kind of want to disentangle this and 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 tease it out from you, Wade. And, and the first question I have for you would be. Thinking about goals, goals define the expenses or liabilities to be funded. And what would you recommend for for folks that are listening in? How they should be thinking about that? Mm-hmm. And and so there is a bigger question, budgeting, and and to briefly give that overview before specifically getting into the budgeting, retirement's about an asset liability matching problem. Do you assets to fund your goals, and we're really focused on the goals in today's episode which are the liabilities of retirement, the, the financial goals I have for retirement, that's in retirement. And we talk about it, retirement researcher, this idea of the goals being the four L's of retirement. Longevity and lifestyle are the retirement budget. Longevity is more your core spending lifestyles, more about the discretionary expenses that will give you the, the appropriate satisfaction with an overall lifestyle in retirement. Then you have legacy goals, which is what you want to leave to the next generation, and then liquidity goals, which are the reserves for the unexpected, the, the surprise spending shocks or continued additional funds you want to have set aside to feel comfortable that if you are hit with various spending shocks in retirement, you'll have sufficient resources to handle those while also being able to meet your retirement budget. And the goals, it's really the, uh, the spending the spending goals in retirement, the financial goals of retirement, which are these four L liabilities. And that we're most, well, we'll talk about the liquidity and legacy briefly, but we're really focused on the idea of the retirement budget, which would be the combination of longevity and lifestyle. Well, that's, that's a good way. I mean, said another way, what, you, what, you're, what you're saying here, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that there, there are a couple of tasks at hand when you're creating this budget. The first one being is how do you create a realistic budget based on the past, the past spending that you did? And, and there's two methods that we'll discuss, but how do you create that realistic budget? How do you also, because we're talking about retirement and we'll flesh this out, but, and this has to do with the four L's you just mentioned, how do you anticipate the retirement spending that you're going to have in the future to meet the ongoing desires? Because what you spent while you were working is going to be different while you retired. And so how do you anticipate those changes? I, I think the other piece that touches upon the 4L is, just to make it clear to everyone, is how do you account, estimate, what have you, for potential expenses that that that, that are going to happen when you have various contingencies, such as the unexpected health care need, uh, a tree falls on your roof, that those kind of examples. Uh, how are you going to anticipate that? Because by default, by definition, unanticipated expenses are unanticipated. You know they're going to happen. You just kind of don't know when. The the other item is legacy, right? How do you want to leave behind the legacy? And and there's two ways to be to be thinking about that. What we found from the Risa, as we always said, is sometimes those are just whatever's left over. That's the legacy goal that I have. The other. The other piece is sometimes people want to budget in something explicitly to provide to the next generation. And I'm going to introduce a concept because I think this leads to the next piece, Wade, is you can specifically you know, create assets 
to be able to match these contingents, these 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 goals that you have. Specifically, let's say if you really wanted to fund some sort of legacy goal and be exact about it and not worry about whatever's left over, you want to come to a specific number. You know, there's insurance for for things like that. And so from that vantage point, Wade, I, I think it's a good segue into, you know, we spent the first parts of this podcast talking about your retirement income style, which is selecting strategies that resonate with you, right? But you have to overlay the financial feasibility of all of those. And as you build up your assets, that's kind of what you're beginning to do, right, Wade? You're kind of now have to begin to solve for that retirement income puzzle by optimizing you know the the balance between the objectives and the and your style and the actual solutions available. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Wait, and I'm thinking about this 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 the 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 graph that you had in your book, the retirement income challenge, which looks like a bullseye. And I and I'll let you flesh that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I made early on in looking at retirement planning the this idea of a, a bullseye chart that I try to use to summarize the retirement planning problem. And for anyone who's interested to see that chart, it's available in the show notes for the podcast. But if you'd like to to see that visual, it's also, as Alex mentioned, and it's in the Retirement Planning Guidebook as well. But it's a bullseye chart where we there's four concentric circles. The inner circle is a, the process. What is retirement income planning or the retirement income challenge all about? It's about using financial tools, uh, converting our or using our financial assets with different tools or strategies to meet our financial goals and to manage the risk confronting those uh, confronting those goals. So the second circle around that process are the financial goals of retirement, which again are simply the four L's: longevity, lifestyle, legacy, liquidity. And then the next circle around that is all the risks that uh, are facing or impacting those potential goals. One of our earliest episodes that we had was going through all those risks of retirement. Uh, so we won't talk about them again now, but these are the risks of retirement, the longevity, not knowing how long one might live, uh, market volatility and the impact that can have on one's investments, uh, as well as the sequence of returns risk when you're actually spending from those investments changing interest rates, credit risk, especially with bonds and so forth, long-term care, which potential spending shock that retirees face is having to pay for uh, institutional living in retirement through long-term care, uh, rising healthcare costs, compounding inflation, which certainly has picked up recently as a bigger potential risk for retirees, the death of a spouse and the financial implications that can surround that, uh, emotional considerations, uh, supporting adult family members, uh, the potential for the gray divorce in retirement and the financial impact that divorce can have when create shifting from one household to two, changing public policy, changing tax rules, just spending more than budgeted, uh, excess withdrawal risk, a frailty or other issues related to cognitive decline that could increase expenditures in unanticipated ways the potential for elder financial abuse, changes in housing needs in a way that wasn't anticipated, and just the reduced earnings capacity. Retire, it can be more difficult to return to the labor force or to earn the same salary as before. And so we have those risks. And then, so we we have the financial goals, we have these risks that are making it hard to meet those goals. And then we just use our assets with different tools to 
try to fund those goals into confronting those goals. And those tools, there's a lot of them in the chart, but they're effectively, it's, well, more simply stated rather than naming all the tools there. You have reliable income assets, diversified portfolio, and reserve assets. And you're trying to position assets to meet those goals. And it doesn't always have to be purely financial because some assets are just family support, community support, things that don't have a necessary monetary value attached to them. But what they really do is rather than increasing the asset base financially, they reduce the potential spending shock that if you have people who can help take care of you to avoid having to move into an institutional setting with long-term care, then your potential spending shock related to long-term care is. And that's how you can think about those types of assets as reserves to help manage this type of potential spending shock in retirement. And so that diagram is a simple bullseye summary of the retirement income challenge and how to think about positioning but assets through these different tools to I, again, I, meet the goals and manage the risks. I would add, Wade, that I, I and I, and I encourage everyone to actually go to the show notes and download the the retirement income challenge, if you will, uh, target bullseye. Uh, I I do believe it, it does a couple of things that fit the theme of what we've been talking about throughout this podcast, because when we state, you know, these are the tools available. What we're doing with Arisa is kind of pointing out the potential tools that resonate with you, but you always have to have that overlay, that economic overlay to make sure. And if you don't have that, it's very easy to just pick and choose randomly. And so the budget piece, what it does is it helps to use that bullseye uh, theme. It helps close the loop on, okay, this is what you resonate, this is what resonates with you. Now, can we re further remove that uncertainty by running the numbers and seeing if not only does it resonate with you, it's a good economic fit. Because like I said, you, it's easy to get lost in, in choice, right? The paradox of choice, because there are, there are solutions for, for many, many things. And so the trick becomes being the, you know, choosing one that resonates with you, but also choosing one that serves its stated purpose economically. And so a budget helps remove that sort of economic uncertainty around which way to go. You, know, you need to get that economic heart rate, if you will. Wait. Yeah, when you get into the, the financial overlay from the RISA, it, the RISA or the, what we're talking about now with budgeting is we really, we wanna quantify uh, longevity and lifestyle and how much of a distinction one makes between those so that you have your longevity lifestyle budgets and then you calculate what's the potential total lifetime cost of funding your longevity core retirement expenses and your, your lifestyle discretionary expenses. And then you start looking at the assets available and you look at, do I have enough reliable income, including social security, pension income, annuity income, individual bonds uh, or other kind of principal protected type annuities as well, potentially. But do I have enough reliable income to fund my longevity expenses? And if I don't, that's really then where the RISA kicks in well, how do I want to fill that gap? And if you're more of a total return investor, you don't really specifically care as much about that question. You instead look more at, do I have enough reliable investments to fund my total longevity plus lifestyle? If you're any of the other styles, retirement income styles, you do care more about 
I don't have enough reliable income to fund my longevity expenses. Then I want to look to fill that gap through, if I'm time segmentation, through more of a bond ladder approach. If I'm income protection, through more of a fixed type of an approach. And if I'm risk wrap, through more of a deferred, a variable annuity, generally type of an approach with lifetime income protections attached to that. And, and so that's where the RISA starts and combine into the financial question of, do I need to do anything with my strategy to fund my retirement spending? Let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by Retirement Researcher. You can learn more about Retirement Researcher at retirementresearcher.com and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit. Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals. No, I, I think that's, that's, that's spot on. I mean, and, and the simple act of creating a budget begins to answer that question. So it, it's that important step. It's a reason why it's chapter, what is three in your book, Wade? Yeah, we're in <laughs> <Yeah>. chapter three. <laughs> yeah, it's a reason why it's chapter three and not chapter seven, because you kind of need to know what you're working with to, to move on. Now, Wade, uh, in, in that vein, what, what are some difficulties that people may be thinking about with their budget, like budgeting for retirement? What, what are things that make it difficult based on the research and, and frankly, just on, on our experience talking with clients. What have you seen? Well, there's a couple issues that can be going on. And the first is if people simply haven't been budgeting, a lot of people don't necessarily have a good sense of how much they're Wait, spending. why are you looking at me when you say that? <laughs> why, why are you looking <laughs> at me when you say that? <laughs> you, well, you, <laughs> you are making a conscious effort to save. I, I don't know. A lot of people don't even think about these types of issues at all. And when we start thinking about budgeting, kind of the first step in that is to get a sense of what we have been spending. And that can be a complicated process. We'll talk about ways to make it easier. There's certainly help with categorizing expenses, although even their automated ways of categorizing expenses may require a lot of adjustments to something that you feel comfortable using. But you then start to get a sense of, well, how much have I been spending? And that's the first complication. Then the second complication would then be when you retire, your expenses are going to change and you don't necessarily have a real good sense about what those changes might look like. So you have to rely on research about retirement spending patterns, partly to get a sense of what does tend to happen in retirement, but also just thinking through if you have these different spending categories, you can start to think, okay, some of these categories I'll probably spend less in retirement. Others I'll probably spend more, but you have to start making that type of an adjustment. And that can be particularly complicated if you're thinking to move in retirement, because as probably anyone who's moved before knows, whatever you were spending at your location, it's going to be different at the new location. It's just whether it's a different cost of living in the area for a, to impact the overall expenses, or just there's just some things will be cheaper, some things will be more expensive, and, and it's hard to know. And wait, how does that... How did that affect your decision to retire in California? <laughs> yeah, that would be a case of probably increasing expenses relative to <laughs> a lot of the other parts of the country. 
especially for the record wade, wade moved to texas a few years ago <laughs> <laughs> he knows what he's doing <laughs> tax wise uh no i i get it wait and wait that that i think that gets us into the the kind of the types of budgeting that that are that are available so i mean effectively what i'm hearing to to reiterate a little bit is years of records you know you're having years of records let's say you know so you budgeted between i don't know mid 30s through 55 and even though you have years of records and you have a sense of of those expenses i think you're saying prepare those you know expect those to change now that you're retirement cuz now that you're retired cuz there's just going to be different spending habits it, it's a different game as much as retirement is different from an investing standpoint retirement is different from a spending standpoint it's it's effectively what you're saying correct mm -hmm. that those years of record that you've been maintaining are helpful, but they're not going to be the full story because things will change in retirement. And as you observe, your spending probably changes quite a bit on a year-to-year -year basis in a way that a lot of the simplifications don't really get at. And there may not really be any normal spending pattern. And partly it becomes thinking about averages over time adjusted for inflation, but then also how those averages might change. Uh, when retiring. All right. So in terms of types of budgets, first one that you kind of see, and it's it's a quick and dirty, if you will, is replacement rates. Uh, my definition, and maybe it's overly simplified, it's just, what are you spending now? Discounted by a certain percent, and that's what you're going to expect to spend in retirement. <laughs> the, and the replacement rates could be defined that way. Usually it's even a simpler uh, issue than that, which is what are you earning now? And assume you'll spend a, a percentage of that. And the most common number you see, and, and we're just, to be clear, we'll talk about this as a starting point, but ultimately I don't know how helpful this approach really is. Although if you go to any kind of simple retirement calculator online, you're very likely to have your retirement expenses estimated with a replacement rate, which is they'll ask you, what's your salary? And then they'll assume, and it could vary, but uh, the, the most common number you might see would be an 80% replacement rate, which is just, if you enter that your salary is $100,000, they'll estimate that you're going to spend $80,000 a year in retirement, that you spend 80% of your earnings. And that's based on uh, a study done through the University of Georgia going back to the 1970s, although it hasn't actually been updated since 2008. But it just looked at average spending pre and post retirement and found that people are spending about 80% of what they earned. Uh, it wasn't necessarily for higher uh, incomes. Now, th these, these numbers are not adjusted for inflation, but they presented their results up to $90,000 of annual earnings. And we're generally finding anywhere from, say, 78% to 81% for different. Uh, earnings levels as well as single or couple that were I mean, generally in line with what people were spending. I mean, it, it, it seems representative, though, somewhat of middle America from that. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that the, the study is very credible or anything like that. But, you know, I, I do think to try to get some sort of a representation across the, the U.S. Mm -hmm. But that being the case, the pros are it's very simple. I mean, just you're making 100 grand, plan on spending 80,000. <laughs> yeah, and, and the kind of technical way that you can even think about that is maybe making sense, although we'll get into a lot of cases where it won't make sense. 
But you you have payroll tax uh, coming out of your earnings. You'll have income tax coming out of your earnings. Uh, You do have potentially a small category of like work-related expenses that will go away after retiring. And then hopefully you're saving something as well. And what that study is effectively suggesting is that kind of for the average American, once they consider the higher taxes associated with working, plus their savings, plus work-related expenses, percent of their earnings. And so they have another 80% left over to actually spend. And then we just assume they continue to spend that same 80% after retiring at a time when the taxes would generally be lower, especially at these income levels that the study focused on. And you're not paying social security payroll tax anymore at that point, less income taxes, not having to save for retirement anymore. And then also not having to pay work-related expenses like new suits or wardrobe and that sort of thing specifically for work. And and that's where the 80% number really comes from. You mean, wait, I won't have to show you the the polos that I got for for working from home? <laughs> right, your new orange pumpkin color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wade and I were, were talking before the podcast. I, I usually have a lot of these blue polos. And we were in a meeting last week, and, and somebody, David Lau, of all people, comes up to me and says, hey, how many how many blue shirts do you have? Are you wearing the same shirt? I haven't had four of them. So I told him, no, I've got four of them. But... It got in my head because this weekend I, I went shopping and I showed Wade all the new colors of 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 the of the working from home polos, right, Wade? That's right. I thought you were gonna just say you follow the Michael Kitsy's approach of just wear the same thing every time, and then you don't have to worry about what you're gonna wear, and it makes you that's, a lot well, easier. Which <laughs> I somewhat fall into, not exactly, but <laughs> life is definitely a lot easier if you have a closet full of the same shirt. (laughs) Less thinking, less thinking. Uh, Don't (laughs) worry, wait. I I won't worry about it unless I see you with black turtlenecks. Then uh, (laughs) then I'll start then I'll start wondering what's going on with you. Uh, All right. So that's, you know, it's easy, right? The replacement rates are easy. What are some of the cons with that? You know, let's say you get online and you you do one of these calculators on whatever dinky town or, or whatnot. Or, you know, your local custodian, Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, they have these calculators and they're using a replacement rate. What are some caveat emptors to, to keep in mind if you're using this as your budgeting tool? Well, maybe the, the first con to start with is it's based on an assumption that your salary has been pretty steady over time so that it makes sense to say 80% of my salary. If I always earn the same salary every year, then it's easier to understand what... 80% of that means. But the reality is, and this is something I could really observe when looking at social security earnings records data, people's incomes fluctuate dramatically on a year to year basis. And if you fall into the category of what you earned last year is not very predictive of what you're going to earn this year and your income goes up and down over time, then it's the question 80%, well, 80% of what? It's not necessarily We're basically assuming with the replacement rate, it's 80% of your pre-retirement. But that assumes your pre-retirement income is something meaningful in that you've been earning that same amount over time. If you earn different amounts every year, you really don't know what 80% means anymore. And and therefore, it's hard to use this method. What if I take a moving average or something like that? Like a three-year moving average, just to say some sort of smoothing component, whatever it is. Yes, you could. That would be a way to track. 
percent replacement rate alive instead of being 80 percent of your previous year earnings you could do 80 percent of your earnings over the past three years now you, you see everyone that that was that was my attempt to stump wade i don't know we'll see if i <laughs> we'll see if i get away with it <laughs> and you might want to adjust those earnings for inflation especially now that we're seeing like yeah right you might be spending and earning well i don't know you know what's interesting I, I think when we started this podcast, I, I think we're by number 19 or something like that now. I think we started the first few episodes talking about how inflation is low. <laughs> <laughs> that all changed. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Some of these inflation adjustments that actually, yes, my retirement planning guidebook came out in September 2021. <laughs> and I do talk about all these inflation adjustments. But when inflation was averaging 2% a year, there are things that were easier to ignore. Now it's becoming more and more important to emphasize <laughs> making some inflation adjustments because what you spent in 2017 isn't going to have as much a connection to what you're spending in 2022 just because everything is a lot more expensive in 2022 than it was in 2017. And that's where, that's kind of, I'm hinting at this and we'll talk about it in more detail, adjusting those past numbers for the inflation experience, which means, uh, and I'm just making this number up right now, but if I spent... $50,000 in 2017, perhaps the equivalent of that would be, I said 50,000, maybe like $58,000 just because of inflation and the impact that's had over the last few years. All right. Uh, what about what about folks that want to be early retirees and they're thinking about a replacement rate as a, as a you know, as, as this sort of watermark for budgeting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for that financial independence retire early community, they might be using an 80% savings rate. And then naturally, <laughs> they're not going to want to replace 80% of their earnings, or they, they might want to, but that requires spending significantly more than they were when they're working, and also would make their retirement much, much more expensive. Usually people want to smooth their spending over time. And that's a big critique that Larry Kaldikov makes about some of the tradition, like a replacement rate strategy. No, you don't just want to automatically spend 80% of what you were earning pre-retirement. You want to smooth your spending over time. And so if you were, if you're part of that FIRE community with a high savings rate, then it's quite clear you're not going to be looking to replace 80% of your salary because you weren't living on 80% of your salary now. You were saving so much of it. So that's, then there's no meaning to talk about something like an 80% yeah, replacement I, rate. I think the other one that gets me, and it's kind of obvious, is that you know, you you can do eighty percent, but you know, and you, you said it from the standpoint of work related stuff like payroll, taxes, clothes, etc. But you know, things change. Like your mortgage, your 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 children are are raised already. You know, that 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 kind of thing is no longer an issue. You want to maybe expand upon that those issues as well, because I I think that's really mm -hmm. this is to me the third strike when you're just looking at replacement rates. Yeah, absolutely. So another reason why your replacement rate in retirement could be significantly less is, well, there's a couple issues there. It's if you've paid off the mortgage, a big chunk of your monthly earnings was going into mortgage payments that you were not otherwise spending and that you don't have to match that spending in retirement. That's what we're talking about here is, okay, I have my earnings, I have my salary. What percentage of that am I spending? Well, I may be spending a, part, a portion of that to pay mortgage payments. Once those are gone, it's not going to automatically bump up my spending. It just means I'm living on less of my salary. And the other big one is children. Children are expensive, but at some point they grow and 
Now, one of the spending shocks is surprises about having to help adult children start with their adulthood and so forth. But without that particular spending shock, once the children are raised, once the college bills are paid and so forth, that was a huge part of the salary going to that type of an expense that, that will then go away and would then suggest being able to live on a much lower replacement rate in retirement because you don't have that major expense eating away at your earnings anymore either. So in addition to those tax issues, it's mortgage payments and, and uh, no longer having child-related expenses that could also lead to dramatic reductions in the post-retirement budget. Yeah, and I, I think, look, and, and for me, I, I started the episode by saying I don't really budget this is pre-retirement. I don't really budget be just because it's just not my temperament. And I'm fortunate enough that I, 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 don't, I don't need to from, from the standpoint of trying to figure things out. But I am pretty measured about saving and, you know, and making sure that I save what I need to. I save as much as possible, you know, investment-wise, maxing out 401ks, et cetera, et cetera, and, and then ta even taxable accounts that, you know, all things considered, I'm assuming I'll be fine, you know, in in a major way. And I'm not the only one, by the way. Remember Michael Finke, also <laughs> did it like that as well. So so there, Wade. But uh, that, but that that being the case, I you know I I think once you get into retirement, th there are just different dynamics. So I I do see myself changing once I am into retirement because all the saving has been done effectively. Uh, uh, but a concept way that I think is while you're in pre-retirement that merits discussion and we can end it on this. And I, I think it flies under the radar a lot in terms of the research that you've done, which I, I, I find this actually uh, fascinating, but it, it just doesn't get a lot of play. And that's the concept of a safe savings rate. And you've kind of mentioned it when you were talking about the fire crowd. I, I think you did. You want to talk about that and how that that helps translate into a retirement income strategy? At a certain point? Sure, sure. And, and so I think the reason it, it comes up now is just because it did use a replacement rate as a simplification as part of the process. But this was the article that actually made my career and got the, the mention. In the no, that was a RISA, Wade. <laughs> RISA, mate. Come on, man. Up until the RISA. We're talking about, <laughs> no, we're talking about 2011, Aaron. No, I know. I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> The safe, it's a the safe savings rate idea. It is part of the total returns research category, where something like the four percent rule is often called the safe withdrawal rate. What's the withdrawal rate that you can safely use in retirement? The safe savings rate research was just about taking a further step back and not worrying about the safe withdrawal rate specifically, but worrying about how much would I have to save so that I had sufficient assets to meet my retirement expenses in all the historical simulations that you want. In the same manner that the 4% rule was based on the worst case historical market performance, the safe savings rate was based on the worst case historical market performance. And the scenario, the baseline scenario I set up for that was just somebody who's 30 years away from retirement, they hadn't started to save yet, so they've got 30 years to save I did give them that constant inflation-adjusted salary, which I mentioned earlier is not particularly realistic for most people. But if you had this constant earnings growing for inflation over time for 30 years, how much would you need to save so that when you retired, you could then, in the baseline, 
replace 50% of that from your investments. And I assumed you had social security too. So that was getting you up to, if you're a higher than average or a 30% replacement rate with social security, another 50% from your investment portfolio, but to then be able to fund that level of spending over the uh, next 30 years. So it's like you start saving at 35, you retire at 65, uh, you live to 95. How much, what percent of that salary would you have needed to save so that you did have enough money at retirement so that you could goal that, that goal, again, that 50% replacement rate from your investments, you could spend that and not run out of money. And really what the, the big issue there was, it helped with the idea that the 4% rule concept or the safe withdrawal rate concept, historically, the lowest withdrawal rates tended to come after bull markets. You had a big bull market, hopefully you have a lot of wealth at that point, but then that's where you might've had to use a lower withdrawal rate in retirement. And when there is a pre-retirement bear market, uh, the most famous example of this would be 1982. If you retired in 1982, it would have been hard to have much savings because those final years of your career, those markets were doing terrible since the mid-1970s. But then, in hindsight, you could have ended up using close to a 10% withdrawal rate if you retired in 1982. And so the safe savings rate concept provides more than terms of don't worry about a safe withdrawal rate. Those tend to happen just after bull markets. Look at just how much would you have needed to save to meet your spending goals. And that puts a lot less volatility on the required savings rates to make those retirement plannings work. And in the example I just mentioned, if you were using a, a 60-40 asset allocation throughout your career, that safe savings rate ended up being 16.6%. That if you saved that consistently for those 30 years, even in the worst case historical scenario, you well, and that's what it's calibrated, it was the worst case historical scenario, that would have been sufficient savings to fund your entire retirement spending goal through age 95. And so that's an application of something like the replacement rate, which really works only if you are assuming a constant salary, like I was saying, where that can make sense. But, but this framework, it's really flexible. You don't have to make everything fixed in that regard. It's just have your scenario in mind of what expense is going to be, what assets, uh, what will I need to save into my investment portfolio to then translate into being able to fund those expenses. The savings rate concept is about. No, wait, I, I think it's fantastic. I think that's actually what got me started into the, my path down budgeting laziness in pre-retirement, which is, let me just make sure um, I'm, I'm saving the heck out of, out of things. Yeah, that uh, is, uh, I, the software, the financial planning software that we helped and you the, primarily created from the foundation uh, did have the safe savings rate modules. So maybe yeah. you're running your plan through that. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, that, that, I, I don't know. It just worked for me. Like I said, like, there's, a, there's a style for everyone. It, it, it just works for me right now. Uh, that being the case, there's a there's another type of budgeting strategy, but we're gonna talk. Let's talk about that, Wade, in the in the next episode, since we're roughly at the forty minute mark, and that probably exceeds many folks' like daily walk, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> why they listen to podcasts or drive or whatnot, right? So let let's get to that second type of budgeting method where you actually track expenses in the next episode. What do you think, Wade? Yeah, yeah, we'll end here on a cliffhanger, and in the next episode, we'll do that bottoms-up approach of talking about 
uh, identifying different spending categories, looking at past expenses for those categories, and then trying to translate that into a reasonable retirement budget. All right, everyone. Thanks for checking in on Retire With Style. Take care. Take care, everyone. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.